Three mates, three headlines, what's next? Episode 10, gentlemen, and a good one. Uh, looking forward to this one. No news on any of our managerial sacking predictions from last week just yet, but plenty of time for one of us to be right still. As always, how are we both? Is everything okay? Good, thanks, mate. Weekend was made before the three o'clocks had even kicked off by Brucey's Mags picking up a shock 2-0 win away at Everton. And as Callum Wilson was making a 2-0 at Everton, Sunderland conceded to make it 2-2 at home to Gillingham. Weekend done and dusted. I'm happy for you, Jim. Um, no, Liverpool Thanks, won mate. again, so I'm happy as well. Get back winning ways, and now we're signing championship centre halves. So we can only go up from here, can't we? Yeah, the uh, the lunchtime kickoff has never looked so good, Jimmy. Never back um, the early kickoff. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed the world of sport this week, and we've got some great headlines that we will fly through. So, without further ado. James Vince was denied a big bash ton as AJ Ty bowled a bouncer to lose the game, leaving him stranded on 98 not out. And Premiership Rugby made its return. Bristol were electric once again. Gloucester lost once again. And Quinns finally won under their new management. Graham Jones added a touch of class to the Newcastle touchline as they stopped the rock with a 2-0 win away at Everton to secure Callum Wilson's GOAT status as Joel Linton took the hit for getting a haircut by being left out of the matchday squad. Salah ended his league scoring drought and Arsenal have replaced Ozil with Odegaard, or however you say it, the 22-year-old Norwegian wonder kid who's been around for about a million years. In Scotland, the cum dog is signed for Dundee to link up with Charlie Adam as pressure mounts on Lenny at Celtic as they lose at home to St Mirren for the first time in over 20 years. Paul Casey won on the European Tour in Dubai, whilst Patrick Reid won in the States despite his ball-handling, embedded ball, cheating scandal. And in Milton Keynes, Johnny Clayton won the first darts major of the year to secure a place in the 10-man Premier League lineup. Whilst in cycling, young Brit cyclocross sensation Tom Pidcock has signed for Ineos Grenadiers. And lastly, in wrestling, Edge won the Royal Rumble to stamp his tickets to WrestleMania. A busy week, gentlemen. Do I get you get better and better with that every week? You must do some serious research into those. Twitter is everyone's friends. To be honest, yeah, I thought I you say. peaked a couple of weeks ago when you talked about suddenly getting beat, getting a new manager and getting beat again. <laughs> it's been downhill in the news ever since, but... I think we need the poem back, but less on that. Um, Doiga, what's next? Yeah, lovely little interview with a very special headline act for this week. Me and Jimmy caught up with former Newcastle United and Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Rob Elliott. Rob talked to us about a whole load of topics, including Newcastle being the focus of the community, the successful academy at Charlton Athletic, great managers, talented teammates and current business ventures. Rob also alludes quite early on in the interview to the fact he's working hard to get a club soon. And since the interview, he has signed for Watford FC, where as we speak, he is part of the matchday squad at home to QPR. Naturally, Rob is excited for the challenge and we wish him all the very best back in the capital. Looking forward to getting down to catch him between the sticks as soon as crowds are allowed. So, what's next with Rob Elliott? Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your busy. But first of all, how are things? How is lockdown going? What does that look like for you? And how is the homeschooling? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's a bit of everything, really. Um, so, a bit of homeschooling. Um, I've been managing to train at Gateshead to keep myself fit, mainly coaching, to be honest with you, um, and then sort of working out where I can when we're allowed. Um, yeah, it's just like it's a bit, it's a bit chaos theory, really. It's just trying to 
just trying to make sense of everything and, and do everything you can. Right. I don't know about you guys, but I just find I'm second guessing everything I do. Um, just because you want to make sure you're doing the right things. But no, it's been nice to keep training and do a bit of coaching and keep fit because like one, it's good. Well, it's good for you anyway, isn't it? But like, it's just it's just nice to have something to focus on. Uh, it gets me away from homeschooling as well. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, anything to stay away from maths and English and things like that. I'm a I'm a teacher, so I'm across in school looking after key worker students. So I'm quite keen to take them to the sports hall as often as possible. But uh, how are things looking at Gateshead? Are they shaping up okay? Are they keeping busy themselves? Is Mike Williamson still okay? Yeah, he's top man. Uh, I am Mike. Um, he's good. He's just um, obviously he's like a good friend of mine from when we played together at Newcastle. And uh, I, I popped in there. I, I popped in there um, when I left Newcastle last season, and obviously the same again now. And it's good for me because obviously it's like I get to do a bit of coaching um, with the goalies and a bit with the outfield. And I went to the, I took the game with them at Guiseley and we won one 0 last minute. So it's nice to experience that as a coach, you know, from the sidelines. Um, but I still miss playing. Though. I don't think I'm quite ready to step into that side of it yet. So I just hopefully get a get a club soon and get fit. But no, it's a really good setup there. You know, he's 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 working with a he's he's working against like clubs with huge budgets and um, they play some really good football uh, with some good young lads. And he's got a good um, great bunch of lads who buy into everything they're trying to do, trying to do everything the right way. And you know, I've, I was very privileged to be at Newcastle for so long where we've really pampered. And um, to see lads, obviously, at the other end, sort of still still working hard and, you know what I mean, like doing what they can to make sure they're full-time and give themselves the best chance, you know. It makes you want to help them even more. So it's, uh, it's, it's really good. Absolutely. Do you still speak to anyone at Newcastle since you left uh, not that long ago? Do you keep in touch with a few of the boys or even the management guys? What What are your thoughts on what's happening there at the moment? We're keen fans, so we're... Uh, we'll <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I, still speak to, I still speak to like um, like Darlo and um, Martin Dubravka. Obviously, the goalies you're always tight with the goalies and close. Um, speak with Dummy every now and then, and um, like Steve Harper messaged us a few times because obviously I've known Hart since I signed at the club. Uh, quite a lot of the backroom staff because they would be ever present. You know, players come and go, but um, the likes of the kit man, the physios, um, like you, you speak to those guys as well. Um, but no, it's it's, it's you know what it is it's a it's a tough one at the moment, isn't it? As a Newcastle fan, like, um, I think, yeah, I, I don't even know where to, where to start with it. It's, I don't think things are going to ever change at the club until the ownership changes. You know, Mike's made it very clear how he's going to run the club. Um, so I don't think that's going to change unless we, we sell the club. And obviously, uh, uh, Steve Bruce come under a load of pressure, which, um, I suppose it's fair to some degree. It is fair. If you're not winning games and you, you, you do deserve criticism. Definitely. Um, but I do think some of it's getting a bit over the top, getting to the point where it's tilting a bit nasty. Um, and I think he's a good guy and I think he's a Geordie at heart. So I don't think some of it in terms of the personal attacks is needed, but ultimately on the football pitch, for what they've done previously, it's obviously not quite where um, where it should be. And I think everyone accepts that. I don't think anyone's going to turn around and say the football's okay and stuff like that. It's not, you know, it's not been good enough and... And uh, we've got a good, there's a great group of lads there. You know, there's one thing, they give everything, they work hard. And um, so I think there is ability there and they can turn it around. But obviously at the moment, it's a difficult, difficult time. You know, you go out the carp and you don't win for a while. Um, yeah, it's tough. I think previously, the last 18 months, where they was picking up results, where we was picking up results, say they, we were picking up results. Um, it was, you know, it's like you can accept that we the football's not great because we were getting results and we were winning and we're beating like you know the nights against Chelsea and United where we were winning but uh, obviously with the if the results don't come then obviously the performances really do get like looked at um so yeah i mean 
ultimately, I think it's one of them ones. The whole club just needs a big change and shift from top top to bottom. And obviously, that will only change when the ownership changes. You know, it's not a get out to Mike or uh, Lee Charlie or anyone because they they're doing what they can. But obviously, they're only running the club a certain way, and that's not going to change until we sell it. So it looked like it was getting close last year. So there's always stuff in the pipeline. So hopefully, it's uh, it's still close because we want to see Newcastle rocking and rolling and up there playing. You know what we like you say, the Keegan, the entertainers and Sir Bobby and that, you want to see them days back again. Certainly. Just coming on to that, Rob, coming up from London and Charlton, were you surprised coming into Newcastle how football mad it was? Not saying that Charlton wasn't, but obviously quite a bit going on compared to up in Newcastle where everyone eats briefs football. Was was it a bit of a surprise coming into that environment? Yeah, definitely. Like the, um, It's like you say, you go out in Charlton, you play for Charlton and obviously it's my boy at club and I love it, but it's still... Yeah, you're talking about London and so many clubs and it's so filtered down that you, once you leave training, no one really cares or knows what you're doing. Um, like if I went out locally for a drink or if I went out for a restaurant, you might get one person every now and then come over and say hello, but like very rarely every now and then. Whereas like you step out your house in Newcastle and you're like, everyone knows who you are. And, I, and it took me a while, to, well, it didn't take me too long to realise it, but you've got to realise straight away when you come up here that no matter where you are, what you're doing, everyone knows what you're doing no matter how discreet you think you're being or how quiet a restaurant or pub is everyone will know where you are and what you're doing and I remember like my first night out up here um I went out with my mates and stuff and um I was like 25 and I walked into training the next day and they're all laughing about uh, laughing the fact that I got like I got asked politely to leave because I was a bit I was a bit drunk um and I managed to sneak back in then I got asked politely to leave again <laughs> and it was all it was all in good humor there's no I wasn't like in trouble or anything like, no, like I'm not the title <laughs> lad but walked into training everyone knew about it and they was all laughing and joking and it sort of dawned on me it was like right everyone knows everything you know um and I was just in a quiet place with my mates and like um and stuff like that so you, you, and that was the first lesson and after that you uh you realise, but um, I, I I loved it personally. I loved feeling like you're part of something. I think that was the thing. You felt like you was part of the area, part of the culture and the community, and that's why I'm sort of still up here now. Um, like I gravitated to that a lot. I really liked it, and I think players that have always done well and have, that have sort of been responded to are lads that do realise and take that responsibility on that you're not just playing for a club. You're playing for you're not playing for yourself and for a club. You're playing you're playing for like a a town and area. You know, you're playing for the the region um because like you say you can't you can't go anywhere like without anyone knowing what's happening at newcastle even people don't like football still know what's going on so <laughs> yeah it's, you, you have to get your head around that pretty quickly lee ryder's got Rob. sources everywhere listening to listening on everyone's <laughs> night oh, that's the problem uh, and uh, well that's the thing though is that's the trouble up here is obviously like the chronicle for example um like like they obviously a double all the reporters for years but the back page sells sells the front page, you know what I mean? So Newcastle United sell the Chronicle, uh, in my personal opinion, you know, it's like there's obviously other stories going on, but ultimately the Chronicle is based around Newcastle because it's the heartbeat of the city. You know, it's like it is, it defines the area, the club. Um, there's loads of other amazing things around that that do, but ultimately the football takes precedent and, you know, and, and after, that's why we see such highs when we're doing well and such lows when it's not going well like at the moment because it's like, it's a passion and it's part of it's part of people's lives and 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 a big part of the everyday life you know whenever I see anyone they always ask us what's going on and stuff and to be honest with you as like as players we don't know much because you know if like when the takeover is going on everyone's like what's going on then what's going on it's like I don't know it's like all they're going to do is if if like the Saudis come in with all this money to spend do you think they're going to like give me a new contract or go out and sign 
like Buffon, do you know what I mean? They're basically not going to tell the lads because they're just going to sack all of us anyway and buy a load of superstars in. So they're not going to tell us they're coming in. <laughs> I was trying to say that to people. It's like, not going to say, oh, yeah, the takeover's happening, lads. Yeah, get ready. And it's like, oh, by the way, we just signed four superstars tonight. We don't need any more goalies anymore. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just... Robin. Uh, Rob, if we can go back to the start of your career and somewhere that you said you hold very dearly naturally is Charlton. You came through the academy there. Their youth system has an incredible name um, in terms of producing players of players that pass through their door alongside yourself. There's even the likes of Hudson Adoy, who I think they were part of. Harry Arter's been through there. Uh, yourself, uh, Carlin Grant. It's obviously in the Premier League at the moment. Paul Koncheski. The list goes on and on. John Joe Shelby. Uh, Darren Randolph. Yeah. They've got so many players that have gone through there. Lookman, I think, as well, I believe. Correct. Yeah, How Lookman, Gomez, Parker. I mean, I, honestly, it's, it goes back years. You know, John Fortune, Kevin Lisby. Um, and, and I think, do you know what it is? I think there's lots of different reasons. Ultimately, it's the people in charge who are making it. And Steve Avery, um, who's been there for like, you oh, too long um, to even know how long he's been there. You know, he's been a part of it and it's, it's having a plan of and doing the right things by people, not just as football and coaching, but actually by the person. You know, it's a club that looks after the kids that are there and they really help them and uh, and develop them and 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 also like are happy for lads to push on. You know, they're not looking at it saying like we're gonna bully. You know, if there's an opportunity for lads to go, as long as the club's financially rewarded for it, they're not gonna stand in the way because ultimately the level we're at at the moment in League One or whether it was in Championship if like and Lookman if Everton come in for him or a top club comes in for him they, they let the lads go but they pump that money back in again you know well they did obviously they've had a couple of issues recently but the new owner comes in looks like he's doing things well and it's just a testament to the, the coaches there first and foremost and what they do really well if a lot of these lads that they've sold on have probably not all of them but have probably maybe been at Arsenal or Tottenham or West Ham and what they do is they identify lads that they can maybe that maybe get released from these clubs and that they can work on and the little things that they need they can help develop. Uh, I mean the list honestly it's crazy when you look at the list of players that have come through. Um, I don't think there's many clubs that can probably compete with the amount of players that not only have played first team and gone on, but the players that they've sold before they played in the first team and gone on again. Now, even the likes of Jermaine Defoe, um, uh, West Ham bought him for a lot of money when he was 15 and. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing, really, that it doesn't get picked up more. Um, but like they say, something I'm proud to come through because ultimately I was a really bad goalkeeper when I was a kid. So I didn't play in goal a year when I went there. No, I literally didn't know anything. I couldn't catch a ball, couldn't take a cross because I'd never been taught. It was all instinctive. But then Lee Smelt, who was my goalie coach, he's brought through umpteen goalies there, like myself and Darren Randolph included. Uh, Dylan Phillips, who's done brilliantly, uh, he's just gone to Cardiff. Like. He just looked at it and they, what they do is they look at the purity of it. It's like, can they, uh, the, uh, the way I looked at it, like, they have they got ability? Can we help them? And they look to say, oh, instead of saying, oh, he's not good enough for this level, they go, right, we can get him good enough for this level. Uh, and that ultimately is the reason why I'm sitting here with, with having the career I've had, because another goalie coach might have looked at it and gone, oh, he's not good enough, we'll, we'll get someone else in because they want to win an under-16 game on Saturday. Well, actually, Lee Smelt looked at it and went, well, this kid could be a really good goalkeeper in three years' time. So let's take our time to do it um so it's obviously something i'm massively grateful for but yeah um like you said there it's just unbelievable like the when you look when you actually look into how many players they've come through and not everyone has gone on to be a superstar but lads have just had really good solid careers um it's um it's, it's a massive testament to the club 
as well as that, uh, obviously the system in place at Charlton, you had a couple of loan spells away at respective places, Bishop Stockford, Notts County, Accrington, Stanley. How important is that loan system for players' development to go on to play Premier League football, international football as they grow older? Mate, it's huge. It's the one thing that it really annoys me when clubs don't let young players go out on loan. Um, it's my pet peeve. And do you know what? Maybe, maybe you can argue that I'm still young in terms of making decisions like that because I'm still a player and I'm only young. But every player I know, 80-90% of them would have gone on loan, like, learned what it's like to play men's football, develops, learn all the things that you can't learn on the training pitch. You know, like whether it's getting beaten up as a young centre half or getting bullied as a centre forward or as a young goalkeeper. And and also lads who are going and playing with lads who are like trying to pay their mortgage, you know, trying to get trying to feed their kids every week. It sounds really stupid, but it is that important, you know, the difference between a win bonus and uh and a not win bonus or getting through a couple of rounds in the cup. Um I remember I got absolutely hammered by the lads at Bishop's Dortford because I had a nightmare in the cup. Um and we lost four three. Uh, it was a really good loan spell for me, but I had a really bad game. Um <laughs> And like they literally like the lads hammered me, and I was a bit I was a bit frustrated by it. And then the manager Mark Robson at Cholton pulled me, and he was like, "Listen, you've got to realise that cup game. If they won that and they're in the first round proper or whatever it was equivalent, he said that's like hundred grand to the club or something, and that's a that's a huge thing. Um, and that was like that that to me like I felt so bad afterwards. You know what I mean, I went to the lads and apologised, and it wasn't like I did it on purpose. Do you know what I mean? I had a bad game, but it just makes you realise how important it is. Um, winning and it develops like is that important to you you know to the lad is it important is he willing to go and play on horrible pitches and cold nights against with no fans and you know against if you're a young centre half you've got a big 35 year old bully who just keeps elbowing you and standing on your toes and that are you willing to stand up to it and still do it so for me it's huge at any level in any sport like the experience to do that Um, and I think like you look at the clubs that do it really well I think Spurs are a, a big highlight of that they do it really well. And even if you look at Newcastle, like uh, Sean Longstaff, um, he went to, to Kilmarnock and Blackpool, I think, if I'm right. Yeah. And then Dummy did Gateshead and St Mirren. Um, and I, it's um, and there'll be a few others that are probably are missing, but it's huge for their development. I think Kel Watts will be the next one. I don't know if he'll play in the first team because that's a huge jump for him, but he's out of Plymouth doing really well in League One. And um, I feel like, yeah, for me, it's just it's, it's massive. And I think it's, it, you need to utilise it as much as possible. Yeah, I think I just saw something the other week that Chelsea's longest serving player on their books is it Piazzon has just finally left the club and he's been there 10 years and he's had 10 different loan spells, but he's managed yeah. to go and find a gig in the one of the top European leagues. So that loan system clearly develops him to be a top European player, just obviously didn't necessarily fit at Chelsea, but that's how it is, I guess, and what it's supposed to do. What do you remember of your Charlton debut? I think it was Pardew that gave you that debut when you were there, but it was in slightly unusual circumstance, wasn't it, that first time you got on the pitch? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, it was it's really weird. So Pards hated me when I first came. Like, <laughs> literally battered me all the time. Like he hated me, honestly. He, and, Did you and, hate like, him, or was he uh, was he all right? Do, do you know what? I, it was one of them ones. I just like I didn't really. I don't know. I wasn't probably focused enough at the time. You're only twenty years old, and you you train. I always trained hard. Like I was always thing, but like I was probably like going out a bit too much. And like my mates were all students, so I was sort of like living a bit like that. You know, sort of like. Um, drifting around and stuff and I went alone to Akron to Stanley I come back I wasn't in great shape um, and like I come in and Pa's just like yeah he just battered me from the start um, and, and and to be fair though like the, the goalkeeper coach Andy Woodman who's like absolute ledge like um, looked after me and, and sort of like again saw something in me a bit like Lee Smelt and just got me down got me working hard and um, eventually sort of 
change Pa's mind a little bit. Um, I think um, I think the big turning point was like I had a meeting with him, and I'm doing well. And he said to me, he's like, "You've done really well." He said, "But I think like you're the kind of lad who has a really comfortable life at home. Do you know what I mean? Your mum makes your tea and everything like that." And I literally was like, I was gutted because at the time, like I had single mum, and I was paying towards like our mortgage. Um, so I was only on like 300 quid a week and, and like all that was going towards paying the bills for home and my car had broken down so I was having to bunk the train to training and like I honestly nearly cried coming out of it because I was literally like is that what people think of me do you know what I mean and mm-hmm. I had that conversation with Woody it's the first time I sort of opened up to him and he's like are you joking me and I was like no and he went like he literally was like in his own words I don't know if you can bleep this after but he was like right fuck that and he went to speak to the gaffer and then from that moment I think everything changed and it wasn't like a sob story he wasn't never a sob story. He still battered me every day and took the piss out of me. But like, um, it was more the fact that I think he realized that it wasn't that maybe it wasn't the way I was, was just how I am. You know what I mean, a bit different to most football lads. But, but, like, do you know what I mean? And I think he realized that actually I did have the desire and stuff, but maybe he didn't see it in his way, you know, because he's a very confident guy and stuff like that. And I was, although I'm really self-confident, I'm not arrogant. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes that can be misplaced as not being self-confident. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then that day, and although he never actually approached me about it, Pa's never said anything to me. The, when, when we played Plymouth away, I was on the bench. He came up to me, he's like, right, I'm gonna, you've done really well. You've worked hard, I'm going to give you a new contract. And obviously for me, like, I had no money and I was sort of helping with my mum and everything because she was working. And, like, the, the relief of that was just like, oh, my God. And he said to me, he was like, right, you're going to get your chance. And he was like, I promise you, I'm going to give you a chance to play in that. Um, that was when we was in the championship and so I've like buzzing after the warm-up gone in got changed walked out I walked out the tunnel thinking oh this is great this like and then Nicky Weaver's come running out his box and like handballed the ball um, <laughs> after about 30 seconds and like my, my arsehole just dropped and I was like oh Jesus Christ I was like right so I'm literally stood there thinking like right I'm gonna be he's like come on then and he went I told you you're gonna get your chance like really calm and everything <laughs> And I remember standing there, like, and the weigh-in was packed at Plymouth with the Charlton fans who always had good away support. And like, um, and it was like a horrible windy day. And it was like, um, so I'm standing there and they didn't know who to take off. Because obviously, imagine, like, it's literally, they played the ball back to the centre half. He's booted it forward as you do at the start of the game. And Weaves has come out. And it's just one of them ones. Like, Weaves is top goalie, top man. And he's obviously just mis- mis- misplaced it and he's handballed it. And so they're trying to work out who they're bringing off. And like, I'm standing there. My legs started shaking because I was just nervous. And I was like... So I was nervous in the fact that like I wanted to go on, but I was like just that obviously it's like that, oh waiting to make my debut and stuff. So I had to start like jumping up and down on the touchline, doing loads of movements just to hide the fact that I thought oh, everyone's gonna see my legs shaking. Um <laughs> which is mad, isn't it? But it's just how it was. And um went on and I think we won two one. Yeah, it's one two one. Um and it went really well. And uh I think the last second of the game. They had a guy, the ball got dropped to a guy on the uh, in the six yard box. He smashed it and I managed to throw my hand out and block it. Um, and we've won it and gone in the change room after. And I always remember, like, we're sitting there and Pa's going, Look, lads, you deserve that. You've worked hard with 10 men, you've got the win. And he was like, And you get that little bit of luck where it comes off the post at the end. <laughs> and I remember, I remember, like, and I didn't say, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. And then Matty Holland, Matty Holland turned around, he went, No, no, Gaffer, he saves that. He's like, That's a save. And he went, What? What? And he went, Oh, fair play kid like and that was it you know and then after all that he, he brought Darren Randolph back off loan and played him ahead of me the next game <laughs> I was like what's going on <laughs> so like it was just like it was just a mad turn event so I ended up sitting on the bench the next game um and Daz to be fair Daz was on loan he's top goalie Darren obviously he's a great lad as well he's like one of my oldest friends in football and so I've come from highs to lows and I'm sitting on the bench at Southampton and um yeah to be fair to Daz like uh he made a mistake 
um, for for the goal. Not in a bad way. Just made a mistake as you do. Young goalkeeper. These things happen. Uh, and then after that, I think like Daz went back out on loan, and I stayed as number two, and eventually, eventually got in the team. But yeah, it was a mad sort of like the highs and lows of football. There was just it was just crazy. You've played under some unbelievable managers and some of the most recognisable in the game, and certainly within the UK with Kirbishley and Dowie Pardew, Martin O'Neill, McLaren and Benitez. Who of those as managers of their football clubs has had the biggest impacts on your career? Do you think throughout? The, um, it's a tough one. I, I don't think you can. I don't think I could stand here and contribute one to having the biggest impact mm-hmm. because I think every single one shaped me in different ways and you have to appreciate that even if you didn't realise at the time. Um, so I had Martin Hayes when I went to Bishop Stortford um, who put a lot of faith in me and like put a lot of responsibility in me as well, even as an 18-year-old. Um, and he was, again, top man, obviously ex-Arsenal player and stuff. And he was a really quiet guy and, and that, but really effective um, and gave me my first chance in men's football, really. Uh, Alan Alan Kirby, I never really played for Kerbs, um, but again, just the way he was with younger players and sort of you never felt when you train with the first team. You had Keith Peacock and Mervyn Day around. And as a young goalkeeper, you always tend to train with the first team early because they always need you for shooting sessions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way they they treated you. They didn't make you feel like they didn't intimidate you or anything. Um, Alan Pardew, I've got to say, like um, was a massive influence in terms of like. He never really, like, I would never say we had a great relationship. Do you know what I mean? I don't speak to him or anything. But in terms of the fact that I always felt that, like, he backed me and I'd never let him down as such, do you know? And um, and I think, like, I can always respect that. You know, he, he was a nightmare sometimes, you know what I mean? Like you say, when I was younger, he used to batter the life out of me. But that was, I think that was his way of testing me, really. Um, and obviously, when you look back at it now, you probably appreciate what he did at Newcastle a little bit more. I know he wasn't overly liked, but we had that great season where he finished fifth and Europa League. And um, and obviously, I, I, I'm never going to turn around and say, I don't think you can turn around and say he's in the same category as the, the previous managers gone by. But probably in recent history, in terms of what we achieved, I suppose, it's probably the most we've achieved. Um, so I suppose, yeah, like he's done well for that. Um, Steve McLaren was one of the best coaches um, but his sessions and stuff obviously it just didn't work out I think we tried to change the way we were playing far too quickly um, but he put me in and kept me in and uh, gave me that sort of season where I won player of the year and did well and it just gave me the opportunity to play Premier League football week in week out which really was the first chance I got to do that um, and, and showed a lot of faith in me in that so yeah um, it's just obviously unfortunately with we just didn't do well enough as a team as a squad we just were, weren't good enough Um and, and and that ultimately was was why he lost his job. Um, but no, and then Rafa come in, and, and you've got to say, look, like Rafa's the best manager I've ever worked under. Um, he's, he is like, there's no doubt in that. I didn't personally enjoy, um, like the way we set up as a team to play, and obviously training and stuff because it was so strict. But yeah. like, I say, didn't enjoy it. That's harsh. I did enjoy it. Like, I really, I really enjoyed it. I learned so much. Do you know what I mean? There's so much I learned, and even more so looking back. Um, but like in terms of like just the way he managed the club and the way he managed the the sort of like the expectation and obviously the way he was with the press and the way he was with like um, the way he just like he was very relaxed and but structured at the same time he was like very relaxed but very strict it's it's really hard he's only never shout or ball he'd never get his emotions too high or too low just about consistency but obviously with that experience that he's got on the levels it was just um it was uh it was amazing to be fair when you look back and you think like we'd be playing a game and he'd just be like listen doesn't matter if we would lose one in the championship you know we'd be thinking we can't lose a game in the championship because everyone's gonna batter us and he'd be like look we 
we can lose if we lose one we lose one if we lose two we lose two he said as long as we're trying to get better we'll win the net third we'll win the fourth um so he never let himself get too up or down so then he didn't let the lads get too up or down with their emotions uh, which one that we've, uh, huge. sorry rob one that we've forgotten to mention there that i forgot to mention and maybe you've glossed over is john carver who referred to himself as the best coach in the premier league when he was in charge um, <laughs> how were how were his sessions in comparison to benitez in terms of structure to be fair john was john was a great coach like he's a great coach and a great guy um and he gave me he he did like when i first signed he took a liking to me always had always looked after me um and um he said to me when i when i first signed to newcastle he was like right go out and um he said don't when you come out the tunnel run down to the bottom of the gallagher he said don't turn around and then when you get to the far corner turn around and have a look and i did i was just literally like oh my god what am i doing here i was like do they realize they've signed a fraud um (laughs) (laughs) and it was it was but it was brilliant do you know what i mean really and even that helped me take in the sheer like size and everything so like even him doing that was just maybe his way of saying like get in get make you realize now how big this club is so if you do have to come on the pitch like do you know what I mean? Like, this is what you got to take in. <laughs> so he was brilliant in them ways. Obviously, when he took over the, the team, it obviously didn't go well for him. And I was gutted for him because it meant so much for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it was just a bit too much. You know, maybe if John cut his teeth and worked his way up, it would have been different. Um, and, and I think the thing is, what I think what he was trying to say with the uh, with the best coach in the Premier League was that if I don't believe I am, then why? how can the players not? And obviously, I think it's just got lost in translation. There's a few funny gifts and stuff, but no, John's 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 a tough character. He'll just brush that off and realise that. Look, at the end of the day, he's, he's a Geordie. Like he's around with Sir Bobby and all that. You know, he's a big part of all them sort of times. And so, like, no one will question that. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, <laughs> you just feel for him a bit, and I, I think that's the thing. From the outside, sometimes it can look like people don't know what they're doing, but actually, circumstance and just a bit of luck and that. You know, like John. John's still a brilliant coach. Obviously, Rafa is a different. Rafa is just a brilliant manager. You know, he's a proper manager, not a coach. I would say, um, in terms of the way he managed the players, managed the group, managed the sessions, um, and like he had his way of doing it. And you know, whether you agreed with it or not, it's been successful. And he stuck to that. He wouldn't differ. He wouldn't change. And I think that's the that's the thing is he he had his way of doing things, Rafa. And he was like, well, I'm not changing because I've done it for so long and it's been successful. And um and ultimately that that was like his blueprint and still is i'd imagine so i loved ratha and it was really bizarre going from watching someone who managed obviously managed the players so well didn't manage my expectations because after that championship season i was adamant that we we're going to win the lot twice and twice again. um <laughs> was it coming back to mclaren in a way you talk about there's lots of people that's mentioned how good of a co- coach he was especially at man united a lot of um the players have come out of there and said how good he was on the training ground, was it a surprise, especially with the players that he had, that it didn't quite work out? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, it's one of them ones where, when you look at now, obviously you see Genie and Musa and, and, and Mitro and stuff. And But you got to remember, they were a lot younger when we signed them. You know, you're talking about six years ago. Um, so we're not, we weren't buying what they are now. We were buying what they to build them up to be yeah. what they are now. Um, and I think maybe with, with, with Chantel and Bember as well, um, maybe it probably was a bit too much. We signed too many players. And, and, and I think the one thing I think Steve Bruce did well is, is he sort of brought, uh, what he's done really well is brought in players who have Premier League experience. So you have players who come into the team who know the opposition you're playing against. They know they know about Newcastle, they know everything. So they can go straight in and perform. Now, like look at Callum Wilson, how well he's doing, for example. Um, like he knows the league, he knows to do well. Whereas with Steve, the signings we made, they needed time to adapt. And 
we was we changed from being a team that was really solid and counterattacked um to being a team that suddenly wanted to be expansive and play um and and i think just that just that combination probably didn't quite um didn't quite come together for him you know and and i think like people might might have to hold their hands up and say maybe they didn't quite do well enough and that you know you get relegated you've got to look at yourselves I've got to hold myself up, hands up as well uh, there was a couple of games that I sort of conceded goals that I should have let it should have saved and there's a point there or two points here and and stuff and um, so you all have to take responsibility not just the manager because ultimately you're still a footballer you're still a professional guy on the pitch but um, as a coach and his sessions were brilliant and as a manager I, I, he's obviously been very successful as a manager in, in his own right you know England manager and uh, won, won titles and in, in Holland etc and done well at Derby and um, and I think probably what he tried to do at Newcastle, in my opinion, is he tried to do too much too soon uh, with a completely different group of players. And um, I think whether that's the way the club was signing foreign lads at the time or whether it was his choices, I don't know. I wasn't obviously privy to that. But I think like if you're going to change and if you're going to change style and you try and change everything about the club to do it all in the space of six months was a massive ask. And I think anyone would have would have maybe struggled with Just that. two quick things on that, Rob. You talk Rob, about, obviously, bringing in the young players like Wijnaldum and how well he's doing now. And we've mentioned it a bit jokingly in the past. Did it wind you up, the fact that he would almost vanish the moment he crossed the river time? Or was that a running joke amongst the players that you never get a goal away from home? Was it... Because, I mean, from a fan looking in, it was um, it was infuriating that he could be so good in at St. James's Park. And the moment that... He got away from home. He obviously it took him even I think half a season for Liverpool to eventually score away from home for them. Yeah, I don't think it's anything in terms of his ability or, or mentality. I think what you got to look at is obviously we were a team at the bottom of the league playing away from home under a lot of pressure. So his opportunities to score were going to be a lot less, you know. And obviously, I think Genie was one of them ones. He, when he's hot, he's hot, you know. And he's obviously scored a couple of braces and he scored the four against Derby. Um, or Norwich, sorry, I think it was Norwich when we won six two, um, and I think like and what happened then is is Genie very quickly because he scored the, the goals early on. I think he scored six in the first eight, didn't he? Um, I think he become the the man that clubs looked at um, to target and pin down. Yeah. Um, so I think Genie, I wouldn't say he's a natural goal scorer. I think his he's, his ability is amazing. What he's done at Liverpool, I think you you can see just how talented he is, and obviously Barcelona after him. So. But I don't think I think what the role Gene is doing at Liverpool is probably would have been more suited to doing us. But he sort of played left of the three a bit more and was a bit more advanced. Whereas I think probably would have suited him being more in the middle. Um, but ultimately, at Liverpool he's playing with a team that have the ball every week that he can pass. He's got four or five world class players around him every time he gets the ball. Um, whereas at Newcastle he's come in; it's his first season in English football. It's got like, Johan Gruff on the A new team. We're all trying to learn. <laughs> Well, that, that's that, the other side of it is the fact is, do you know what I mean? He's not got Allison getting the ball and whipping it out to him. You know, he had me trying to like throw it, <laughs> kick it. Do you know what I mean? It, the, the fact is, it's just levels. And and the, and the other side of it, Liverpool still signed him. He never got relegated because he, he was obviously top man at PSV and top man here. You know, like you don't, you have to ask Genie where how what his mentality was. You know, when Rafa come in, to be fair, Rafa, I think he left him out a couple of times. And and when Genie come on and when he played, he I thought actually reacted really well to that. Um, but it was obviously too late for us to yeah. stay up. Have you got his number? Um, Let's get him on the but, podcast. Yeah, we'll ask him personally. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a shout. Do you know what I mean? But I think I think I'll wait down the <laughs> list now. <laughs> uh, um, nice. But the other side of it is like you say with Genie. I know it's from a fan's point you get frustrated, but like and Musa as well. Like you couldn't ask for two lovely lads. Do you know what I mean? And like they really were good, great lads. And and 
yeah, and I, and I wouldn't think it was for lack of effort or lack of trying. It's just when you got to look back, you can't just look at one circumstance. You got to look at many as like all the different circumstances that come in. I mean, the fact that we sign these players is a good thing. So we, it's a catch twenty two. We, we're signing the right. We were signing the right players because look at what they're doing now. You know, Chancel at Porto, Musa at Spurs doing well. Genie's won everything in football. It's just unfortunately we didn't have the infrastructure to be able to bring them in and help the club go up with them. And before we sold them on, um, that was probably the thing that let us down. Looking back. Rob, in terms of, I know you talked about players there, but who in your time at Newcastle had the biggest presence within the dressing room? There's a lot of stories about how well integrated the players were. There's a really amusing story that goes around about Steve Taylor and almost his numbness to some extent where he asked one of the new players or they were talking to the new players and they said, have you got any kids? And he said, none that I know about. It really tickled him. And then Steve Taylor then went and said exactly the same to the PR lady when he asked her, have you got any kids? And she said, no. And he said, none that you know about. Um, so there's <laughs> clearly some characters around there. But who was, the, who was your best mate almost? Who had the biggest presence within the changing room at St. James's? Um, to be fair, I was so lucky. When I look back, the, the team that I went into, you had like, like Stephen, he's just a joker. Do you know what I mean? He's just sort of so funny. Always like buzzing in. Every day he comes in, he's so funny. And like, and he just kept the group together and in and out with the physios. And like then then you have like Jonas Gutierrez was just like an absolute legend. So funny, just like doesn't care loud as anything. You no, know, like every time he laughed, he would snort and it sounded like a foghorn. He had a massive nose. Um, and like, but it was just literally be like, hoo, hoo, hoo. and you just hear this like, and here's Jonas laughing. And they have like Perchy, Ryan, Taylor, uh, Gozzi. Uh, Shola Amiobi, like what a legend he is. Do you know what I mean? Like he's still one of my mm-hmm. good friends. And like uh, Tim Krull, obviously Steve Harper. Steve Harps was obviously the older one. Do you know what I mean? And like obviously he still had a big presence around and kept kept standards up in, in and around the dressing room. Do you know what I mean? And Harps, to be fair, Harps don't care. He'll just say what he thinks. Um, do you know what I mean? If he thinks something's wrong, he'll just say it. And like, and in a good way, not in a bad way. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so that keeps people grounded. Tim Krull is a big character and obviously when he had that first season when I come in he was unbelievable and um that that helped him settle in and what we had is like there was obviously groups you know you had a few a few of the French lads but again good lads just looked after themselves and um like you had Colo and Jonas and they integrated and I, I remember we used to go out and they'd be like we'd go on nights out and go for meals and stuff and or go around Colo's house and it'll be like 20 lads popping over 15 20 lads and I'd never known that before to have 15, 20 lads from a squad all going around together. And when I look back, it was such a brilliant time to do it. Um, and I remember Stephen Dunby on the first day, like, I literally was like, oh, um, we went out to, <laughs> he's literally, he's one of them ones where uh, I've gone out to train to start with the goalies and I've literally nearly got to the goalie area, which is always the furthest away. And he shouted, he's like, oh, Rob, Rob. So I've come in, and I've run back in, he's like, oh, um, John Carver wants to see you. So I've literally sprinted back in, gone in to see John. He's like, John, you want to see me? He's like, no. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. So literally I've come back in. There's about six lads in the, uh, like, in the boot room as we go out going, way, unlucky, you um, And it was like, no, but do you know what I mean? It's just, it's them sort of things, but it was, it was a great atmosphere to go into. And obviously it, it, looking back, it had the right blend of everything experience. Like Kolo was our captain, just top, like just what an amazing centre half he was. Like, he'd, like he could have played any position on the pitch and, um, obviously had a good young hungry lads and we had lads like unsung heroes in my opinion you know, like Perchy Ryan Taylor um, Danny Guffrey um, Leon Best like lads who just maybe weren't the people that you'd pick out but the lads that just always did well and like and then obviously when we signed Pappas and we had Denver and like, played lads like that it's just like 
it's such a buzz to see them players come in with their quality. And it just sort of kept us... James Page was a funny up. one because he obviously he had that. And I don't know if it still stands, but he set that Premier League record where he got booked the season before you joined, Rob, in the first five games of the season and got his ban on six. And then yeah. all of a sudden just moved from right back to centre midfield along with Kabai and Teote. And from there, his career with Newcastle took off. It was almost a shame to see him go after that European season. Um, just one of those players, a bit like you mentioned there, an unsung hero. One that the fans, if you go around Newcastle and you want to talk oh. about James Pitch, they'll all probably say, What a player! Yeah, oh, Perchino, like honestly, he's an absolute <laughs> legend and he's such a great lad as well. Like, and this is the thing, he brought so much. And I think that's probably where we lost a couple of years of momentum when we lost like Perchy and people like that, um, who did just bring so much, well, not on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. Uh, Dan Goslin, like another one, like not like maybe our like maybe our impact on pitches of some players don't bring loads but they bring more behind the scenes do you know what I mean what you bring by setting standards and just being good around the place and um like Perchy like honestly he he loved clamping people he'd always like and he would want to fight someone every game because he just had that natural desire to win and I don't think he'll mind me saying a bit like myself you know I hold out he's probably not the most gifted footballer in the world but his desire and his determination took him above other people who had that ability um, and like when he went into defensive midfield for a while, he was probably one of the best best around at the time. And he'd never get the credit for it outside of Newcastle because ultimately, like he just did the simple things really well. But the simple things are the hardest things to do. Um, to be disciplined and to, to sacrifice yourself for the team and all that, you know, like a bit like a imagine like a like a what what David Batty did for the team. You know, when everyone's flying forward and we had, when we had Hatam, Demba, Papias, Cabs, and all that flying forward. Um, you had Perchy just making sure that like he did all the horrible stuff and 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 obviously like he, he played right back, played left back, played centre half, and he never got less than like seven out of ten. Um, and I was with him actually on when we went to stag do. Um, the load of us went to stag do, and that was when he found out he was leaving. Um, and it was, I remember me and him just decided to go back. It was like the last night. We just went back early. We went for a few drinks, and it was just a nice chill one before we flew the next day. And it come through and it was in the paper about Wigan sign. He spoke to his agent and he was genuinely gutted. Like he didn't want to leave. But he sort of said, like, I've got to because the club have accepted the bid and like this sort of thing. And um, and it was one of them ones he was gutted. He didn't want to leave. Uh, and like no one wanted him to leave. But obviously in football, these things happen. And um, yeah, it just showed how much it meant to him with the area and the club that he didn't want to go. But obviously, if a club accepts a bid for you, it's pretty much like you know that they don't want you to stay. Um and I don't think it was in a nasty way, but I think at the time he was probably like, like if they offered him a new contract, it took him to be an over 30. And I think that, I don't know whether he had a policy like that. I don't know. Don't know the ins and outs of that sort of thing, but obviously, yeah. So he, he was, he was gutted to leave. And obviously we was all gutted that he did leave. Rob, one of the other places that we've bumped into a couple of times is around various cricket grounds in the northeast of England. Uh, I certainly remember you bowling a few rockets in your Chesley Street days. Was cricket a release for you from football, almost that summer-winter split a little bit? A lot of cricketers, uh, sorry, a lot of footballers seem to play a bit of cricket on the side almost. Yeah, 100%. I love my cricket, mate. I'm like, honestly, it's one of them ones, if I could have been a professional cricketer, I would have loved to have been. No, I absolutely love it, but obviously I'm not good enough to do that. Um, like the, uh, it's just like you say, it's a massive release, and I used to get frustrated with football sometimes because it's just, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes with football, you, you you become a bit like because of the way the game is and sort of this like attitude you have to have. 
cricket was the opposite to me. You know, you could run in and try and take someone's head off, but not be a complete dick about it. You could just literally be like, that's the game. You know what I mean? And like, I'm a big believer when I play cricket and obviously I've never played at that higher level. So when I play with my mates back home, like, so we're so like say Frinsbury, the team I play for in Kent, we like Kent division three, four. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to go and sledge someone who's like probably just wants to come and have a bat and a bit of a chill chat with his mates. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to like steam in and bowl 50 mile an hour and then try and give him a bit because he's like missed one. Do you know what I mean? Whereas some of my mates do it. I'm like, what are you doing? I was like, do you know what I mean? I was like, you just bowled four wides in a row and you bowled one good ball and now you're giving him a bit. Like, it's not really for me. <laughs> Fair enough if you're bowling 90 mile an hour around his ear rolls and he's swiping everything. That's a bit different. But um, no, I, I love my cricket, obviously. I love going to watch it. Um, it's always been a thing with goalies as well. Like, goalies seem to naturally gravitate to cricket is very similar you know like the fielding the bowling like me and Darlow have been to loads of the loads of the England games and stuff and, and down to Durham and um it's just it's just so similar but so different I saw um, Joe Hart like, had his clip go viral the other week didn't they when they were all in the change room and yeah like that. the goalkeepers in. but almost I, I know both of the Longstaff brothers played I know Sean was quite a quick bowler I remember speaking to him once and he had to almost, when he was younger, uh, and he was on one of the shorter nine-month contracts so he could make use of the other three to play cricket. And then once he was on a full-time contract, had to ask permission to play football. Was it something you kept quiet or were you quite open about that was your release? I'm going to go and play cricket in the off-season. Yeah, I was quite open about it, to be honest with you. I never really... I, I, I played... Um... It was only when I started playing, I played for Harbour down, down in Canterbury when I was at Cholton. And that was like the, the Kent Village League, but like it was like Division One League. So you're playing against lads who are playing either county or um, like we're playing like Premier League cricket. And I remember I got hit on the fire from a lad bowling about eight mile an hour. Um, and I felt that for about a week. Do you know what I mean? So it was one of them ones where I was like, but I always had the attitude and um, of a bit like, well, I'm going to play cricket because it's what I want to do. And it's who I've always been. And I genuinely believe it helped me be a better goalkeeper as well. Genuinely believe that. And it, it's only when I've done the ACL that I've stopped playing. And I've started, I, I, I've stopped sort of playing when I was about 28, when I've done the ACL. When I was playing, obviously, at Newcastle, I've done the ACL. I've, I've stopped sort of the last few years. I've just sort of chucked my hand in every now and then. Uh, mainly just got up to Ashton to have a bowl, um, just with the lads for a bit of banter. Um, but no, I was always quite open about it because I was like, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, you know. I never really played a stand where I was going to get, like, seriously hurt, you know. I'd never feel in a position that I'd, feel uncomfortable and I, most of the time I was just playing with my mates so it was um I, I always had that desire though I think it's just me as a person whether it's being a professional that I always wanted to play higher and whenever I had the opportunity to I'd always try and play as high as I could but it's just having that balance of realizing actually come on stop being stupid now do you know what I mean like um like football's so important if you did break a wrist or if you did do something stupid you're, you're putting yourself at risk but I, I, I don't have an issue with it I think I think more footballers should have an outlet I think it shouldn't be as strict I think like other sports I know like um, like Randolph uh, was like sp- uh, played for Ireland basketball when he was six, under 16 um, and yeah I know because of the money involved people get a bit too panicky about it and I can understand you've got multi-million pound commodities but ultimately I think it makes people better if you look at a lot of the top top athletes they're always good at multi-sports I mean there's the most ridiculous one ever in there what's the uh, I'm going to forget his name now over in South Africa yeah De Villiers like he's broken every record ever yeah. and if you're telling me that's not helped him to become the best cricketer in the world mm-hmm. for 10 years whatever it was uh, do you know what I mean a best athlete as well best fielder um, so I'm a big believer in that I think like yeah fair enough when you get to 17, 18, 16 but I'm a big believer you should play as many sports as possible as a kid for sure I completely agree as well it's something I try and make sure a lot of our kids have sort of drilled into them and get the transferable skills for whatever they may go and specialise in later. Um, in terms of your nowadays plan, I know you say that you've got one or two things in the pipeline, 
But you've also got your goalkeeping kit company, One Glove Co., which has branched out into a couple of academies, etc. Tell us a little bit about the company, who's involved, who's wearing the brand and where people can get their hands on some of the kit. Oh, I love this for advertising. <laughs> love the ads. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, so. But so, uh, I, I met Miles, who who started, well, pretty much started it. Um, I think he bought it for about nine thousand pounds, twelve, fourteen years ago. The company, um, and he's built up. Then I met him in about two thousand and twelve, two thousand and thirteen, um, and he wanted to sponsor me, and like we got on well, and he sponsored me to wear the gloves, and we was chatting a lot, and in the end, we just got on so well, basically become mates. Like we speak every day, and I just said to, he was like, "Do you want to get involved?" And I was like, "I'd love to," and that was it. it. Just sort of instead of me being sponsored, I just sign into the company. And I have a stake in the company. We run it together. Uh, I say that that's me being. Like he runs it I help out as much as I possibly can like him and his brother will and there's the three of us that do it all together and um, we've just been trying to build it as much as we can you know like we're in about 14-15 countries we've got licensing for obviously Martin Dubravka wears them uh, myself uh, Mark Gillespie's wearing them at Newcastle we've probably got about 50 60 professionals who wear them um and it's turned into a, it's turned into a really big business now um and it's really helped me as well off the pitch you know when you've had things going on whether it's long-term injuries or not being in the squad or team, it's had something to focus on. Um, and we've always kept the value that we try and keep the prices as low as possible because obviously, I, I've, as I said before, I didn't grow up, I grew up quite poor. So I think everyone deserves the right to have everything. Do you know what I mean? Like at least to have, uh, to understand what it is, you know, and we still try and keep the gloves as, as, as low as we can in price so that every kid can afford them. And they are still exactly the same as what the lads wear in the Football League or in the Premier League. You know, we don't mess around with the latex or anything. It genuinely is. Um, and I think that's probably what's helped us build is that we just based it on being good quality, being honest, trying to just make it better. And um, what's nice is the pros really respond to it. And obviously, if the top lads at the top level love them, then... Um, then, then that that pretty much that sort of like justifies everything to obviously the lads who are semi-pro or the or just like the lads who just love playing football and the kids. No, we love it. We get all the pictures from the kids who are in their one glove gear and that, and it's great, you know, because it's yeah, it's a business for us and it's for the future for us. But it's great to know that people get so much joy out of it, and we're all goalkeepers. You know, we've all been goalies at the club at the business, so uh, it's great to see. Um, and 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 one of the biggest things for me is like is when you put an idea to something. And I took my first photo shoot the other day um, with Martin and Mark um, for his new range. And like just doing that, it's just a new experience. And you can look back and you see the pictures come out and it's something you can be quite proud of. Um, so no, it's going, it's going really well. And hopefully, hopefully I'm, we, we're sort of probably a medium-sized company now. Um, we're looking just to push ourselves up that another bracket to try and get more lads in at higher levels and, and just spread the word and get the brand out there. Awesome. Well, we're sure that will be... Uh continue to be very successful we'll follow the progress and we'll make sure we we mention it as much as possible jimmy you've got one more question to ask just before we go and we let rob get back to the home yeah, classroom so just go on jimmy fire <laughs> away. one player that springs to mind when you think of newcastle united over those years where we were probably so successful rob was happened ben arthur um what was he like in and around the dressing room on the pitch as a goalkeeper i can imagine he's a bit of a a nightmare for not tracking back and doing his defensive duties but what was he like in in general I, I I don't know. He's just an anomaly. Uh, like he's the best player I've ever played with ability-wise. Like no question whatsoever. His ability was phenomenal. Like it was just when when Hatton was on it, he was just the best player I've ever seen. Now I, I've 
Um, obviously, I, I didn't quite get to that level. I haven't got got to that level to train with those sort of players, but I played against a lot of them, and I, he could have played for any team in the world, which is shown by going to PSG and everything. Um, obviously, there is the other side to Hatam that if he's not engaged and he doesn't want to, then you do get that other side to him, um, which is what we've probably seen over his career, up and down. You know, he's gone, he goes to PSG, and then he drops away and he falls out with people. You know, he's like... He's a weird character. It's the only way to say it. And um, like he, he could rug people up the wrong way because you listen. The lad said we said multiple times. You do not mind Hatam not tracking back and stuff if he's on it and he's doing everything right at the other end. What obviously does become an issue, and which probably did come an issue towards the end and stuff, is when he's not tracking back and he's not also putting the effort in and putting the work in, um, which obviously happened a few times. And I think that was obviously where the problem started, but. Like for me personally, I it's just just the most ability I've ever seen. Both left foot, right foot, going past people, um, finishing, shooting, like everything. He just had everything, and and he's in that. You see why he's such a frustrating player because like I really do put him in that bracket just underneath Messi and Ronaldo if he really wanted to be. And I think everyone who's spoken about him, I don't think I'm out of place in saying that in terms of his ability in that. But obviously, Hatam is his own character. You know, he was a strange character, and like. Um, like yeah, he, he could be quite, he could be quite offish, and he could be quite rude sometimes if he wanted to be, if he was in that mood. And other times he could be a great lad. Um, you didn't know what you was getting. Do you know what I mean? Each day you went in, you didn't know how he was going to be. Um, but maybe that's because he's a maverick. Do you know what I mean? And he might have had his own issues, his own frustrations. But like in terms of footballer, I mean, his actual ability and some of the stuff he's done in training before. Like he used to do this thing all the time where <clears throat> he'd stop the ball, he'd stop the ball dead. And then he would just move it past someone and he just drifted past them if they thought as if they weren't there. And even like good top defenders, he did it to. And it was just, it was so simple, but you just couldn't stop it because he was just with the ball. He was quicker with the ball than he was without it. Like I've never seen anyone sort of jog around the pitch without the ball and like sprint. And you think, oh, he's not that quick. And then he gets the ball and suddenly he's gone past four people. Um, so yeah, like, listen, Hassan will always be a controversial figure wherever he's been because of obviously, I mean, he's seen it every club he's been at. He's had highs and lows. But like no one will ever question his ability and his obviously like like their magic moments he had the goals against Blackburn and Bolton and um, I can't think was it Villa or Everton when he cut inside on his right foot his weaker foot and put it in Villa. the top corner and, Army was like like yeah you just for me now Villa yeah I think that's the thing I just I just look back now and think like I'm just lucky to have played with him and seen that you know yeah there was other sides to him that were frustrating and like ultimately probably cost like him and us everyone not having what we wanted from Hatam. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and say whose fault it was. You know what I mean? Like, I think everyone ultimately will hold their hands up and say, like, Hatam probably hold his hand up and say, yeah, I could have done things better. I'm sure, like, managers at the time who dealt with him could have said they could have done things better, um, etc. But the frustrating thing was, obviously, you just, as a fan, even me as a fan, as a player, you want to see Hatam at his best on the pitch because he's just, like, so exhilarating, so exciting. And, we got a good sample of that and we saw a lot of that, but obviously we also didn't see that. And um, and obviously it got to a point where I suppose for Hatam, it wasn't enough. And for the club, obviously it must have not been enough. And so it's a pity the way it ended, but obviously I've, I just appreciated the fact that I saw, I sat there and watched him do that, score them goals. It was just like, yeah. And, and do you know what the weird thing is? You're sitting there watching it thinking, you weren't even like, oh my God, what's just happened? You knew it was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? You could, you weren't even like, saying that's ridiculous because it's like 
he do, you know he can do it it sounds stupid but if someone else did that you think oh that's absolutely ridiculous but with Hatam you're like yeah yeah it's ridiculous but you're not even surprised you're just I'm like yeah this is Hatam do you know what I mean the next thing you wouldn't even be surprised putting it in the bottom corner against Bolton <laughs> it's just Hatam <laughs> but honestly it is but it is it's just Hatam you just like it sounds really stupid everyone's like what do you want about I was like but when you know, when you can and obviously being privileged enough to see how, how much ability he had you can be like well yeah I've seen him do that in training beat three four people and then like and then just like slide it past and dink it over the goalie. You know, like Pappis is a bit like that. Pappis, Pappis could be, Pappis is the best one touch player I've ever seen. If you give Pappis one touch, he's like, he was unbelievable. Obviously when it like, it was, he was, he was, he was raw. Do you know what I mean? And Pappis did that. The goals he scored against Chelsea and obviously the lobs against Southampton and stuff. Like Pappis could just do something out of nothing. But the trouble is, is when he does it, you're just like, yeah, like, no, he's, you could knew it was going to happen. You weren't like, oh, where's that come from? You're just like, yep. Yeah. That's that's Papish, you know, and Hatam was very similar when he did when he just did them crazy things that only a handful of players in football or in the history of football can do. Rob, thank you so much for your time, for your stories and your insights. Uh, we really appreciate it. No worries. It's three o'clock now, so school time's <laughs> finished. You've done me a right over. So it's now officially. Yeah, I just, I just heard the bell go, so uh, that's all right. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm done. Trouble. The missus ain't going to be happy, but um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go out. So it's a great time. Perfect. It? Well, we wish you all the very best for the future. I'm sure we'll catch you on a touchline or a boundary somewhere soon. But thanks once again, and uh, we'll speak shortly. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. No worries, guys. Good luck. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. A great insight into the journey through football of a consummate professional. Once again, thanks so much to Rob for his time and stories and the very best of luck with the new challenge at Watford. But, gentlemen, before we close, you're not going to get away with it that easy. A little revisit to last week's 60 seconds on the clock. Pick a headline mentioned earlier on or a story of your own from the week and give us your thoughts. Who wants to go first? I'm going to allow Sean to go first. It's very disappointing of Doiga, tell us when to go. I will. I'll go with the AJ Ty big bash, please. Yeah, nice. Okay, sixty seconds starting now. Um, yeah, you just tell from Vince's face, couldn't you? It was pretty poor. Um, from what AJ Ty did, he wants to kind of say he did it by accident, but it was as blatant and obvious. And to be totally honest, I'd have done the exact same thing, so I can't really criticise him too much. Um. One thing I didn't like was Jason Roy trying to defend them, bearing in mind they're England teammates. I thought Jason Roy was probably trying to keep his own spot a little bit in the 2020 tie. It's all right, Vince, you don't worry about it. So, um, Jason Roy was probably just thinking, I'm quite happy he didn't get 100 because that looks better than my 10s I keep getting every week. So, um, that's there's not an awful lot to talk about, but I just think it was pretty disappointing from Ty, um, in total, being totally honest. But just staying on cricket slightly, um, I watched a little bit of the T10 today and Tom Banton is literally playing like it's a piece of piss, to be totally honest with you. It's an absolute joke what he's doing. Um, so it's good to see that he's over the bubble for you and he's back out playing some cricket. Time! Yeah, not bad. Good work. Good minute. Uh, Jimmy, are you going next? Uh, yeah, I've got no interest to talk about cricket, so can I quickly just gloss over what Sean said there? One, got so much time for what AJ Ty has done. Genuinely... I would put him, if we could do the belated sports personality of the year, he's up there for the foreign contention. What a bit of sportsmanship that is. Jimmy, how can you do a belated sports personality of the year in January? Well, we can do it for this year then, I don't know. <laughs> All the time in the world like, for Jimmy, that. I'm... Also from the T10, um, the clip of that bloke who was caught in the process of putting his shirt back on and missed the ball being hit to the boundary. That league <laughs> is an absolute Some joke. Some cricketers. 
Jimmy, is it, have I started the clock yet, or are you going to go on a minute on something? Um, I'm happy to go for another 20 seconds, like I did last week after we balls that one at two. Okay. Um, go th- 30 I've not seconds. Not thought about what I'm doing yet, man. Let's talk about Patrick Reed. Nice one. Go on. 20 seconds. That's what I was going to do. All right. Uh, to be honest, bit of a shit house move from him again. Constantly seems to be cheating. Has he got any mates on the on the tour? Like, realistically, does he sit in the bar and have a pint with anyone at the end of the night? Looks like the type of bloke who goes back to his room, does a couple of putting drills and goes to bed. Doesn't booze. Takes his golf very amateurly, to be honest. Doesn't seem to take it seriously at all. That's about it. Right, time, Jimmy. <laughs> what a shambles. Right, um, I'll start my minute. I'm going to start talking about Patrick Reed uh, and follow up. It's going to be difficult to follow Jimmy there, but follow Jimmy and then uh, we'll see where we get to. So one minute, I am timing, go. As Jimmy said, once again, and that is probably the big issue, it's probably about time that the PGA Tour or the European Tour or wherever he is playing his golf, make sure there is official following his group every single round of golf he plays. Um, he's had previous in the Bahamas on the tour. He might have a green jacket. He might be a major winner. He might be shushing crowds at a Ryder Cup. But as Jimmy says, he's not, he's not popular amongst his peers. He's not popular amongst fans. He's being dropped by sponsors left, right and centre. I think the best part of it was Patrick Reed forgot that he had a burner Twitter account on Saturday night and he made a tweet calling out Rory McIlroy for doing something similar and had tweeted it off his very own account. Screenshots galore, everyone caught him out and then the exact same tweet copy and pasted onto his burner account. So not only has he outed himself as a massive cheat, he's outed himself as an absolute keyboard warrior, which everyone knows in the modern day is unhealthy. One minute. That is my roundup on that. No one to talk about Edge and the Royal Rumble. Did anyone see that one? No, I missed that one. Sorry, Dolly. <laughs> Hard to believe. Right. <laughs> well, prediction time before we finish. It is the Super Bowl on Sunday. Everyone's highlight of the year, uh, unless you live in the real world and not America. Uh, Brady's Buccaneers are at home as the very first team ever to play at home in a Super Bowl. Uh, they are taking on young Goat Mahomes and his Kansas City Chiefs team, who are looking to go back-to-back in the Super Bowl. Predictions, please. Don't tell us, don't ask us why, but I'm going with the Chiefs and I'm sticking with us. I've never Jimmy? watched a full game of American football in my life. I don't really care about it. I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. Yeah, well, a, gr- a great bucker like you, Jimmy, would always back them. Um, I'm going to go as a massive Kansas City fan because obviously everyone is. Um, I'm going to back the youngster. I think it is his time up and I am going for the Kansas City Chiefs. So 2-1 to the Chiefs. We'll see who's right next week. Gentlemen, as always, look after yourself. A pleasure. I'll speak see to you, lads. Soon. Speak to you soon. I'm the gap with the bass and drum Going around like bum, bum, bum. 